0: Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach.
1: Good morning. Good morning, you all. Um... It's great to be back after two weeks that we were uh, out of uh, live shows, uh, celebrating the uh, American uh, Day of Independence last week. Uh, We are today extremely excited being here with you. We have a special two hour show, uh, celebrating the uh, Calgary Stampede. Uh, If you don't know, the Calgary Stampede is the greatest outdoor show on earth. And we're broadcasting live from Vagabond Calgary restaurant with our live audience and uh, just across from the Stampede entrance. Um, as I mentioned, uh, this is going to be a special episode of taking care of business, uh, not just celebrating the Calgary Stampede, but more important, um, in the spirit of Calgary as a, as a city and the Stampede, we have five local businesses um, that are led by entrepreneurs uh, supporting a local charity, important charity called Project Prompt Society. The local businesses that are hosting, uh, of course, is uh, our host here, that uh, Vagabond Calgary restaurant that were kind enough to share with us, give us the space in their uh, restaurant, Uh, Village Brewery, Rosso Coffee Roasters, Barkley Street Real Estate, and Triumph Real Estate Investment Fund. The reason we call this broadcast the six-pack supporting Project Prompt is simple. Our six member is voiceamerica.com, that has allowed us to have a two hour show, and I will explain in a few minutes. Uh, we'll be serving breakfast to our restaurant guests, and proceeds will go to our chosen charity, Project Warren Society. Uh, so if you're in Calgary, come join us, help support this great cause and great uh, charity. Um, to our listeners all over the globe, and now we have listeners from uh, 40 countries and six continents, if you haven't visited the Calgary Stampede, uh, you better dust your boots put on your jeans and join the greatest outdoor show on earth. Um, if you're looking for another reason to visit us during Calgary Stampede, our provincial government has allowed all liquor licenses establishment to sell liquor from 8 a.m. to, is it 2 a.m. or 3 a.m.? Yeah, 2
2: a.m. Well, you can drink till 3 serves, start <laughs> too. Uh,
1: and uh, since Village Brewery is one of our supporters today, it is 8 a.m. here in Calgary and uh, we should uh Probably be drinking very soon, so uh, we'll have a cheers when we start drinking. Um, our, our guest today, uh, my guest today, is uh, and, and our host is uh, Darren Moulds, the owner of uh, Vagabond Calgary. Uh, good morning, Darren. Good morning. Uh, thank you for hosting uh, our, our show, Taking Care of Business uh, at uh, Vagabond uh, Restaurant. Uh, and uh, we appreciate your willingness to kind of support the charity that we chose. Uh, I know it's, uh, it's a very important cause, especially for Calgarians as the winter is, you know, around the corner and today is a perfect example with all the rain we have uh, and 13 degrees, 54 uh, Fahrenheit. Um, I got to know you a couple of weeks ago as the owner of Vagabond Calgary Restaurant. However. We do research before we come and interview people. <laughs> and uh, I found out that this is a cover up. Yeah. And I found out on your LinkedIn page that you are now, at least currently, CFO of at least
2: four oil and gas yes, companies. Wow. I think it hasn't been updated correctly, but yes, I, I do help out on a, on a few projects from time to time.
1: Uh, <laughs> to mention a few, is Pet, Pet, uh, Petro Phoenix, uh, Trans Euro Energy, Horizon Petroleum, and uh, Sonoro Energy. Um, those are four that I found maybe uh, you know maybe there are more but we'll discuss it probably later uh, maybe also through our questions we'll find out uh, you know between vagabond and oil and gas where is your passion is it a hobby is it a passion where is the future uh, holding for uh, there and, and uh, your next ventures um, and, and the one common thing that I see with entrepreneurs is they never start with their bio, with their, like where they are from, what they've done before. It's always <laughs> after they graduate. So for me, you you were born after you graduated from University of Saskatoon. Uh, I think you got a degree in uh, commerce.
2: Yeah, Bachelor of Commerce. From Bachelor of, of Commerce. S- yeah, yeah, U of S. So. Let's go back a few years and where were you born? Where are you from? In Saskatoon. So, born and raised uh, in Saskatoon, went to U of S and uh, lived there until I graduated from university. I see.
1: And uh, in Saskatoon, uh, you know, Saskatoon was a small place. uh,
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: 20, 40 years ago.
2: (laughs) Relatively small. as far as Saskatchewan goes it was one of the bigger cities but uh, definitely having moved around it, uh, and going back to visit it seems quite small but uh, it was a great place to, to grow up so let's talk about growing up what kind of a kid were you? Yeah, like were you hyper? were you like you know into books? <laughs> were you uh, well it doesn't show now because I've Put on so much weight from owning a bar um, but I uh, played a lot of sports a lot of basketball um, a lot of uh, baseball as well um, Tried to be active but those days are long gone now <laughs> you say basketball that was your chosen sport yeah for sure my dad always played um, so growing up watching him it was one of those things you know if your dad does it you kind of do it um, and so I was always at, at the court with him um, so i just kind of what, what position did you play oh it depended uh, I guess on what age I was, it was all over the map, mostly mostly point guard, I guess. Point guard, I see.
1: So, um, you know, I come from a basketball background myself. Oh there you go. Yeah, yeah, I was a GM and president for professional basketball in, in Israel before we immigrated. Well, let's cut the show up. Let's just go play some hoops somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, you know how it works you are a lousy player so you become management that's right <laughs> so i guess you, you you you're a good player because you didn't uh, manage a basketball team yeah uh, did you also play through high school and university or no
2: just through high school uh stopped there um i was too busy doing other things after high school
1: oh so what, what
2: was the extra curric- curriculum that you did? Uh, were you an entrepreneur at, uh, at a young age? Well, a little bit. Um, there were some things that we probably can't talk about on the air that I was doing, but um, they were always fun. Uh, it wasn't illegal, it was just something we won't talk about. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I was like working, uh, I was working probably two jobs as I was going to university as well, so uh, focusing on, on that. I, I've always been obsessed with trying to make more money even with those little things that's good is is it does it run in a family brother sister parents are they entrepreneurs or they I, were a little bit scared when you said I'm going to be an entrepreneur I don't think they they would say they were scared of it but it I don't it didn't come from them I don't think uh, my dad had a career with uh, Greyhound for I don't know 30 odd years um, so that I mean that was obviously working a, a steady steady job uh, for my whole growing up life um, yeah, my sister's a school teacher um, in, in Saskatchewan still, so I mean that's more of a stable thing as well. So I'm just outside the box, I guess.
1: Um, you know, we have to uncover that activity that you are.
2: What are you doing? Did you sell Playboy's? No, it. it, it the, drugs? The, 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 no, definitely not drugs. The, the short The short answer is it was a it was a, a scam that I was able to figure out by finding loopholes at certain businesses um, hmm. and and exploiting it. it it was there. It's I don't know. It's the same as I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> if it's there, you take advantage of it, um, and until they can fix it, um, and. Anyway, put a couple extra did bucks in. my pocket. Money?
1: Oh yeah, of course. So that's wouldn't have done it
2: if it wasn't worth doing. I wouldn't have done it. I see. It. And that's where kind of when you
1: decided to be a CFO, or <laughs> 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 when you figure out there are loopholes that you can there make. There are. Work. There's always tax loopholes and loopholes and everything. <laughs> Just
2: got to take advantage.
1: I see. Um, and um, you know, you, you play sports and entertainment. Play in a team environment, whether it's baseball, whether it's uh, basketball. Yeah. Um, what What did as, as looking back in hindsight like team sport what
2: kind of uh, character it helps you build uh that's a that's a good question i mean every team's always different all the all the people you have on your team are going to be different but and, and different people you rely on different ways um some people are more role players and some people are you know the hard workers and some are you know a little bit lazy but it makes the team work and it's the same as the the, the bar industry and the oil and gas field you know certain people fit differently and you use them for different things um, and, and take advantage to the strengths and, and and play off some weaknesses when you need to. Where were you in that skill? Oh, always strong. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, I guess more on the leadership side. Um, Captain of the team? Yeah, but maybe not the best player, but I think as a role model for maybe some of the younger players or, yeah, I would say that.
1: So you, you said you weren't... Probably the best player on the team, but hardworking, dedicated,
2: loyal. Yeah, uh, how do you uh, describe uh,
1: yourself uh, in, that, in that team environment and that growing up as a
2: teenager? Yeah, no, I, I think hardworking would describe it. Um, no, that, yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, definitely not the best player. But always there to support other people and, and, and always, always there to help out. I see. And um, so,
1: if I call your uh, basketball coach and I said. You remember Darren
2: Woods? He team? probably forget me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he wants to forget you, or he no. forgot?
2: You? <laughs> he, he, he's probably forgot me by now. That's a long time ago. <laughs> I'm
1: sure he remembers. If you <laughs> were hardworking, what will he say
2: by asking about your character? Like, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, what what, what do your teammates will say? That um, I like to joke around a lot and have some fun uh, and keep it light and easy. Um, I would I think, and that. Uh, um, I think they would appreciate that we did work well as a team and we got along quite well. We had some great friends at the time and it was a lot of fun.
1: So, you know, people talk a lot about in, in, in sport, the world of sports about the locker room, mm-hmm. the relationship in the locker room, the leaders in the locker room. Um, where, How can you describe your role in that locker room?
2: Uh, yeah, always bringing people up, making them feel good. You know, uh, bad things happen sometimes and you got to make sure that you... You pick people up when they need to be. Um, again, same thing that happens in real life, and especially at this bar, right? Um, sometimes service doesn't go as well as others. People get down on themselves, but you gotta pick them up and make sure that you know you focus on what comes next and how do you grow from there. I see.
1: And then um, you know you graduated high school, and you realize that there are loopholes that uh, you know you you want to be in business, and you go to U of S. You didn't want to kind of
2: uh, leave home and go somewhere else for university. Uh, well, I did, I guess. Uh, my first, um, I, my first year of school, I actually went to Medicine Hat College, uh, so that doesn't show up on your research. But uh, <laughs> I went there first, and again, I, I, maybe it was a loophole at the time. But my, my grades were not good; they never have been. Um, couldn't get into U of S, so I got into Medicine Hat. Uh, took me three semesters to do two, <laughs> But that, uh, but then after you finished one year, I was able to transfer back to the U of S um, with. Having less than stellar grades, yeah, um, yeah. so then I was able to get back in. So
1: in in medicine, hack you said uh, two semesters, two, three. <laughs> was it extra or curriculum work or
2: it's uh, social work? <laughs> <laughs> probably probably a bit of bit of everything, but never a strong student. Um, I mean, not that I didn't want to put in the work. I just for some reason couldn't get over that hump of getting things. You know, it was always a sixty nine average, and it was good enough to get by. Uh, but not great enough to do anything else <laughs> except for accounting that was easy I see oh okay that's the one uh, that's the one it was it was easy numbers it made sense to me uh, yeah French and English and that kind of stuff history not, not for me <laughs> <laughs> so why did you choose them? I had no choice You gotta take those ones
1: <laughs> I see I see and uh, so you finally get to U of S your dream and uh, you go through uh, four years uh, or it took you five years? it
2: took me five yeah it took me five Okay, we need to figure I, out I didn't, what's going I didn't on. lose any more time. <laughs> <laughs> I see.
1: And uh, you graduate, you have your uh,
2: uh, commerce degree, and, and, and what's next? What's the next step that you do with the degree? Um, yeah, I, I mean, so my my major was was accounting. Um, and so from there, kind of what's the next step, what do you do? I and mean, most people, um, I believe it's still the case, uh, you, you apply to try to work for one of the big accounting firms. At the time, there was more of them around, but... Um, That was it, and I knew that I didn't want to stay in Saskatoon, Um, and so the option was, I think Calgary was probably the best. At the time, the economy was doing okay, and they were hiring. Every year, they would hire X number of grads from from the U of X. And you joined? Joined PwC, yeah, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Now, that was a funny story, too. Another loophole, I guess what I'm calling a loophole, just something that you... You put your mind to it and you can figure some things out. Um, my grades, like I said, they were they were terrible. I couldn't get interviews uh, at a lot of places. Um, so I heard they were doing a slow pitch tournament with the University of Calgary, all the, the big accounting firms. So I drove from Saskatoon overnight and crashed the the slow, the slow pitch tournament, uh, met some people and ended up picking up some interviews out of it and away we go. I see. And uh, how did you do in that game? I don't really remember. All I know is I got a job after. So, was <laughs> was the job interview on the pitch? No, no, definitely not. No, yeah. uh, it was. Um, anyway, it was worth. It was worth the drive. Uh, put in the effort. Came down. Met the right people. Had the right beers with the right people, and away we go. So uh, beers uh, were already doing the job. 20 years ago absolutely 15 years ago absolutely <laughs>
1: I see and,
2: and that's why we should I, have one by the way yeah
1: yeah we are going to have one uh, soon uh, we are kind of I uh, have a couple of more questions before before we go into our first uh, uh, commercial break as you know we, we also have to do some commercials um, so you joined PwC, and you joined PwC in the auditing
2: yeah yeah definitely um I think most of the hires do go into audit, I, think, I guess a few do get hired straight into tax, but it was auditing, yeah. And how did you enjoy that, or not? I, I actually liked it, I mean, you work in your small little team of two to six colleagues and you go sit in a room and <laughs> stare at papers and look at numbers over and over and over. I don't know, I enjoyed it. <laughs> You you enjoyed crit- criticizing other people's work? It, yeah, because <laughs> I was always making mistakes, not getting things right. I was like, look at these guys, they can't do it right either. <laughs> it's easier to find someone else's mistakes than to get it right every time by yourself. Oh, I see. And then, uh, so so, how long did you do that? Uh, must have been six years. Started in Calgary, uh, transferred down to St. Louis, um, and then transferred to Houston when the Enron crap happened, and then okay. uh, and then back to back to Calgary. You, were, you, you didn't audit anyone? No, no. I was <laughs> down there after the fact. Yeah, It was short-staffed, it was chaos, so I had to go rescue things. No, I, they just needed bodies, worn bodies, so I went down I to Houston. I see. Yeah. And how were your experiences south of the border? Oh, I loved it. Um, it. It was nice to see some new places. Uh, St. Louis was a, was a great town for me. Um, They have a lot of manufacturing clients, so auditing those, we would always have to travel around to, I think I made it to almost every state, Um, maybe not always the best cities in the world. There's some really tiny ones that we had to, you know, eat at gas stations and whatnot, but it was still fun. It was a good experience to see, you know, different cultures, different people, a different way of life. Um, And then Houston, a big city, um, completely opposite of a lot of other places I had seen, Uh, much bigger than Saskatoon where I grew up and a lot bigger than Calgary, Um, but it was, again, Good, good to see, um, understood that I didn't really like the really hot weather, <laughs> but I survived for a couple of years there. Uh, you prefer this? Look outside yeah, the wind. <laughs> yeah, not quite this, but, but after the last couple of hot days, it doesn't mind, mind to cool it down just a bit.
1: Anyway, uh, well, the, hot, uh, the hot weather is coming back tomorrow. We have to take our uh, first commercial break. Uh, make sure to open a new tab on your computer. Uh, and check uh, vagabondcalgary.com, scroll through the Beer, ban- uh, beer Bunker uh, page and find out uh, their support through the local breweries. And we will be back with you shortly after the commercial.
4: The internet's number one talk station number one talk station voice america.com Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank
5: you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallock at gmail.com. That's divi wallock at gmail.com now back to this
6: week's show
1: and we are back here with our guest uh, Darren Moulds owner of uh, Vagabund Calgary uh, restaurant and CFO of uh, the oil and gas industry <laughs> and probably you do you control the price of oil? No, no. I, <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I see, okay this, I just wanted to know it, it will help. Um, so, you worked for six years at PWC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, um and then you traveled to Houston, uh, sorry, Calgary, St. Louis, Houston, and what happened? Why did you leave? What's wrong with PWC? Uh,
2: there was nothing wrong with it. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, it was, um, I mean, the, the real reason was um, when I moved out to the US, uh, <laughs> again, <laughs> Loopholes or whatever we want to call it shortcuts um, the uh, Well, what used to be the, the charter accountant, the CA designation in Canada uh, Very difficult exam. Um, I knew that I wouldn't be able to pass So moving down to st. Louis and do the CPA, which is a multiple choice test No problem. So um, went down there and had my CPA. Uh, so when I came back to Calgary, um, the only way I could advance uh, with with PwC would have been with if I would have got my CA as well, and I knew that I, that probably wouldn't happen. And after six years of being in school, there's no way I wanted to start studying again. So it was time to start looking for something else. So I think we should
1: change this uh, the title of the interview from a serial entrepreneur to a serial loophole finder. <laughs> well, sometimes it works. You gotta take advantage when you can. Yeah, that's perfect. That's, yeah. That's a good, like I'm I'm, writing, I'm taking notes here. <laughs> um, how did you get to the oil and gas industry?
2: Was there an outside influencer? Uh, or was it the, something that happened? Or you, No, I think... Another I, loophole? No, I think it was just because I was in Houston and, and a lot of my clients after I had moved there and when I got back to Calgary, they were oil and gas. So, you know, you kind of get... You kind of get used to that industry and you kind of... Look towards doing that. At least it was from my perspective. It was something I enjoyed. I thought it was. I thought it was in- intriguing. Um, and then when I, I started looking for work, I was able to. Uh, well, I started working with Centurion Energy. Uh, I met the guys from there. Um, they needed a controller. They were expanding. They were growing, and um, it was an international uh, uh, oil and gas company uh, with assets at the time in Tunisia that they were selling, and in, also in Egypt. Um, and I'd never been really overseas. I traveled over the U.S. with PwC. I was like, "Oh, this could be kind of cool, going over there and, and expanding um, again." Um, so it was a great opportunity. Um, jumped at it, and that's how it all kind of all started. And uh, when you started with MP, did you actually travel as the CFO? Uh, no, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess when oh, I started, stayed in the office in crunch numbers. No, no, uh, no. We had a, we had a big staff in in Cairo. Um, I think over the 3 years that I worked with them, I think I think I went 18 or 19 times um, and that um, yeah, was great, love um, love the country, love the people, uh, still connect with a few of them, uh, not as much as I'd like to, but you know, things do change over the years, that was quite a long time ago as well now. Um, in
1: those countries, the Muslim countries, yep. is beer allowed? It is.
2: Find it certain places. I see <laughs> it's and not readily available, <laughs> and you found those places. Of course. <laughs> I see. You
1: know, looking back to your six years in in uh, PwC with PwC in in uh, auditing, um, nice. what did you gain that you brought into your new role working now in
2: the public and private sectors of, of
6: the market?
2: Mm. Uh, I, I guess I. That's a good question. I'm not actually sure. I gotta think about it now. Um, I well, guess, I guess, from the perspective of preparing financial statements and, and and looking at those types of things, knowing that what the auditors were looking for and where the the common I don't know trip ups are, maybe maybe that kind of helped me on that perspective as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. A control environment, understanding you know what what controls you can put in place to to mitigate your risk. Um, seeing what other people had done before and, and if we can you know implement some of those things as you go wherever i joined next i think it kind of helped out to solidify what people were doing uh to make sure things weren't being done incorrectly
1: earlier in our first uh, kind of uh, session of yeah. the uh, episode yeah we were kind of joking about uh how great it was to audit other people yeah how is how was the change from being an auditor to decision-making process, to be responsible for decision, accountable, and knowing that someone is going to audit
2: your decisions. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. And when the auditors show up, they don't really like it because they know you're going to catch some stuff. And then you feel terrible about it because at this stage, whatever, I'm 41 and they're coming in at 23 and they're finding a mistakes And you feel kind of bad about it, but it
3: is what it is.
2: So, uh, did you prepare yourself uh, to every audit, and uh,
3: no, y- you knew the goals they were I,
2: looking for? I think I think the when the auditors come to visit me, they uh, th- they know that I, I uh, don't always prepare my stuff perfectly, but it's it's good enough to get done. Um, and uh, I guess I could do a better job of helping them out with preparing my papers better. But I have to ask you a
6: personal
1: question. Sure. You just uh, you just mentioned that. Uh, you you don't prepare and you knew you're not going to pass. It's too tough and you weren't a good student. Is it an ADD issue, ADHD? I I, uh, I wouldn't
6: focus? I uh, wouldn't
2: I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think there was a I think that was the good thing with um, with, with Price Waterhouse as well is because you're working on so many clients at the same time or jumping around, I kept my mind active. Um, and for some reason I can focus on numbers. Um, and then uh, I guess even later in my career, after I moved away from um, a couple of my first oil and gas jobs, I was doing, I think I was a CFO of six companies at the same time. Um, and it was fun for me to juggle multiple things, just like I do now with having the other jobs that I do, plus having this and living my life. Anyway, I think I think I need the break from other things because I can't focus enough on one, so yeah. jumping around. One job is not good enough. Yeah, I think. You have too much spare time. I, yeah. I see. Okay. So yes, I could have something
1: like that, but never been diagnosed. <laughs> I see. Uh, we we may diagnose you today yes. during this uh, show. Um, did you serve both public and private uh, companies, or just private companies? As a
2: CFO? Uh Yeah, both. both. Yeah, both. yeah. Currently, right now, with Petro Phoenix, they're they are private. Um, I think maybe the medium-term goal may be to go public, but. Uh, uncertain at this stage, but uh, no, it's, it's it's both for sure.
6: And, and
1: where do you kind of where did you enjoy more? What did you enjoy? What environment did you enjoy more? The public arena being on a, I guess as a CFO you sit on the board in the board. Uh, yeah, in the right? meetings the anyway. The board, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and which arena you, you had more fun? You were more comfortable. Both, I'm talking both professionally and in terms of.
2: Yeah, I don't, Culture. I don't know if I really noticed that there is a, a, a massive difference uh, between one of the other um, I think the experience has been pretty much the same in in, in both of the alternatives um, yeah I, I don't I don't really see a difference as far as like an operations or you know day- to-day I mean there obviously is differences between them being you know the public markets but um, I, I guess I've never worked on a private company that didn't act like a public company with, you know, doing its, you know, financial statements and notes and making sure that you're, you know, read at the, at any point in time you could go public. So you're always on the cusp of having the things you need. So I don't, I, for me, I, I don't think I have, I see a difference.
1: And so if you have to rank today the priority or, uh, of the companies you're busy with, uh, how
2: does it work? What's the ranking? Oh, um, They can't be all at the same level. Well, so now I'm just down to the two, uh, which is Vagabond and Petro Phoenix. A couple of months ago I was, I was still working with a couple other guys. Um, I think now with with Vagabond growing the way it is uh, and with Stampede coming up, I think my time, I need to put more time in here. Um, and then, so I would say three hours a day, seven days a week for Petro Phoenix. So I will go to the office on the weekends every day and I'll go in, in the morning, um, spend my afternoons. Here at the at the restaurant, and if I need to be here at night, depending on what's going on, then I'll be here. Um, and do you do financial statements with beer or yeah, before, yeah. before you drink beer? No, no, with them.
1: <laughs> with them. Have and, to. Any influence on the numbers after a, few,
2: after a few pints? They look better later at night. <laughs> I see.
1: We won't go to those jokes what looks better after a few beers, right? Um, in the uh, in 2015 uh, or end of 2014 uh, we started seeing the decline in oil price mm-hmm. uh, which kind of accelerated during 2015 and uh, early 2016 and more, more or less at the same time you bought vagabond yeah so
2: diversified <laughs>
1: was there <laughs> kind risky of, business was there kind of an uh, you know it Influence uh, because of uh, the activity went down in the oil and gas, yes, or it was that
2: something that you always wanted to to do. No, I, I don't know. I mean, growing up, uh, my first job was at McDonald's. I wouldn't say that was the driving force for, for me to be owning a restaurant. well I enjoyed it, um, but I, and I've worked at a number of restaurants earlier on, like in university and whatnot. But um, that was never a hey, I want to do that at some point in my life, especially on this scale. Like you always think about, well, I would say, always. But I had had the thoughts of. You know, it'd be kind of cool to have a small little place, you know, with 30 seats. This is definitely not that. This is a monster. Um, but uh, the opportunity was there. Um, I, I mean, I live upstairs. Um, I've lived in this building eight years, and there have been a number of restaurants that have come and gone through here. And just, you know, being, well, maybe not regular, because they weren't the greatest places to come to, uh, but understanding what they did, maybe correct or incorrect. Um, and I don't know, give it a shot, see how it goes. Risk taking, so, I don't mind it.
1: Um, except of, you know, your experience
2: with McDonald's, What kind of experience, other experience did you have on in the, in the hospitality industry? Uh, yeah, I worked at uh, Boston Pizza as well in the kitchen, always in the kitchen. And then I worked at a golf and country club in Saskatoon in the kitchen again. So you never ran a hospitality place? Oh, no, 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 never, not even close. And, the... you,
1: and you just said it's one of my questions uh, further down but we'll move it up because you mentioned it that you live in this building which uh, is a high rise above the restaurant Yeah, for eight years and there were a few operators here that were not successful. So what made you think uh, that from your experience in the kitchen you
2: can do a better job if you bought this place? I think if, from my perspective in my mind it came down to can I run this as a formula? If I know what my fixed costs and what my variable cost should be, I knew how many, how many butts in, cheap, uh, in seats that I needed to make sure that I could make this work. Um, understanding what your margins are, understanding your labor cost, and focusing on the formulas of the numbers to try to make it work. It wasn't always, obviously you have to have a good product, you have to get good people. Um, and, and that'll I think you can do that anywhere, but focusing on the numbers and growing it the opposite way than other people do, um, to me I, I just felt I could make it work.
1: So basically what you're saying that you're running the restaurant as a CFO, not a chef, not a cook, not someone that has a dream, yeah. you run it based as your, your profession as a CFO. Uh,
2: yeah, I think so, because uh, a lot of people have a different experience where they've been in the industry a long time, um, and, they, and they understand how to run a business too. Um, my take on it, I think, is a little bit different. Um, I'm not saying mine's the right way or the wrong way, um, but for me, I, I felt that I could do it that way. I've seen some some businesses run where just because they've been in the industry that long they you know they they run it based on loose controls and, and things don't work for them and money disappears um i'm not saying things don't disappear around here yeah, um, yeah. but you, if you if you're looking at things the correct way you can you can manage and identify some problems in advance um, with numbers
1: so when you said that the opportunity uh, presented itself, that was it someone that was, uh, you know, uh, do you have partners uh, to start? You, do you have partners now? Or you just,
2: uh, you knew it's for sale and you said, uh, you know, let, let nah, me... Pick- uh, it wasn't even for sale. Um, the business was struggling. They were a couple months behind on rent. And I know John Turot, uh, who you know as well, uh, he, he owns the space with Strategic. Um, so knowing that the... the old guys were behind, I I went to John, had a meeting with him and said, Hey, why don't you evict these guys? I'll take the space over, sign a new lease. So I really didn't buy the place. I just started a new business. So it's a zero dollar entry fee. So, you know, you come from the oil
1: and gas, you're still in the oil and gas, and you come now into the hospitality side of running and hospitality, not working in the kitchen. Uh, What do you know now that you didn't know two and a half years ago when you bought it?
2: (laughs) Holy. I think a lot of things. It's a long list. Ah, oh, yeah. We and have I, three minutes and, before the next oh, break. <laughs> and the, the most common question I get is, what's the hardest part? And it's the people. Um, but we've been very lucky here over the last two and a half years to have uh, a, a great group of, of, of people. Obviously, people come and go and, and people do grow into, you know, obviously, I didn't stay in the restaurant business being a cook all that time. Things changed over time. But we do have a lot of people who've been here a long time uh, and put in a lot of effort and we and we run it more of a, as a family place than than a, a normal normal restaurant would be. Uh, like my, my parents work here. My niece is down for Stampede from Saskatchewan to help out. You know, it's it's uh, it's more of a family environment than I think maybe some other uh, bars and restaurants are.
1: I see. And uh, how does how did the last two? years, When was it? Two years, two and a half years, three years? Two and, two and
2: a half. How how did it? How is it going so far? Uh, if you would have asked me after year one, I would have said, "Why am I doing this?" Uh, year two finished, um, made some money in year two. Uh, now year three is is growing in the right direction as well, uh, and that's and that's great. I mean, the the real goal for me, uh, and I've said it to, to a number of people, is if I can keep twenty five people employed, uh, eat and drink for free, um, and break even, then I think I have succeeded. Um, it's this is not about, you know, making a, a bunch of money. Obviously. If I can make it, that's great, but it's more about providing a place for my community, Victoria Park here in Calgary and near the Stampede Grounds, to have, you know, the people in my neighbourhood, my regulars from the building, that we can have a place to hang out. Um, And then, you know, giving all these people a a chance to have a a steady job and know that we can last here, Um, that's really the goal. the other side. I just want to find some oil, so I can make. That's where the money is. <laughs> <laughs> see, and then it would be Vagabond too, because you'll get bored. No, I, <laughs> no, oh, you're too not, go, much.
1: You're not going to franchise Vagabond Calgary.
2: No, no I, I, I wouldn't envision it. I, I, I couldn't see it being that type of place. But yeah, I, I don't know. You never know. Uh, yeah, not, not, not in the plans.
1: So uh, I guess you're staying in the building. Yeah. Living yeah. in the building, it's easy to uh, come downstairs and
2: yeah, check see, whether and everything and it's is easy going to get well. drunk and get home because I just take an elevator. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you
1: don't have a problem of drinking and driving,
2: no, never, <laughs>
1: <laughs> unless you push the wrong button at the elevator. <laughs> That's right, uh-huh. uh, that would be dangerous as well. So, uh, we have to take uh, Darren, thanks. Uh, we have to take our second uh, commercial break and uh. I would like people to, our listeners, to open a new tab and check uh, the charity that we're working with, uh, Project Warmth, Uh, it's projectwarmth.com, see how you can help, there's a whole page of how people can help them, it's a great cause, a great charity, and we'll uh, meet you here in three minutes uh, on the other side of the commercial.
5: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
7: Are you finding your frequency? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News.
6: News. News. Opinions.
4: Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: tuned into taking care of business with david wallach to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's one 472 5788 you may also send an email to wallach at gmail.com that's d-i-v-i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's
6: show <laughs>
4: We're back
1: with our guest, uh, Darren the owner of uh, Vagabond Calgary Restaurant. And um, Darren, we, we talked about uh, how you purchased Vagabond, or, or it was a different name before, uh, and, uh, and, and now that you're in year three, um, and, and we discussed that the previous uh, operators, for different reasons, uh, were not successful in bringing it to the level that you know it will be a recognized name in the entire What are you guys doing different? In that that you made
2: already money in year two, and you'll probably retire after three years, year three. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I think the the two of the of the prior uh, restaurants that were here, they were. Um, Higher-end uh, dining establishments, and because this neighborhood is still growing, uh, I mean, it is close to downtown, but there's not that many um, residents. Um, I think for it to be a high-end space with this many seats, it was just too much overhead and you couldn't get enough people in the door. Uh, they had they had some great menus and, 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 and I'm sure they ran it well. I didn't, I didn't know the people, but I just don't think it, the neighborhood was ready to support what it had. Um, the third guys that were here just before me um, was very similar to this you know it was it was beer and it was a uh, um, you know um, not a, not a fancy menu it's gonna have pizzas and burgers and you know the normal kind of pub fare stuff um, I just think that they didn't focus on the customer service um, I also don't think that they understood how to manage the money um, I remember days coming in and they only had two of their taps working because they couldn't afford to buy enough beer like it's more about you know making sure you can have a consistent product and 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 take care of people i see and
1: and you're doing something different uh this stampede because Stampede is known for the number the number one items being sold during stampede is (laughs) beer i think so and uh you have all those big international conglomerates of beer that are controlling the stampede grounds and, and I would say most of the stampede venues in Calgary what are you guys doing different this year and how is it going so far
2: yeah I mean, we made this, the decision um, that uh, we, we, we wanted to get away from you know selling the the, the big guys beer um, I, I wanted to give the, the local breweries a chance to, you know, showcase what we have. We have a lot of visitors that come to Calgary to see the Stampede, um, and they can buy their Budweiser anywhere. Why don't you come here and have some good village brewery or, you know, wild rose and, and enjoy some good stuff uh, instead of it being forced on your throat. and a, You have to have it because it's the only thing available. Um, and the local guys, it creates jobs here. What more do we want? Why, why are we paying someone else to, you know? and and maybe there are jobs that are created indirectly from, you know, selling the big guy stuff. But end of the day, that money is leaving Alberta and leaving Calgary. Um, when we can buy local like this, it's going to help everyone um, locally, especially in, the, in tough economic times.
1: So, so um, is it one brewery that controls your Stampede or you have, the, uh, you have different breweries that participate in this?
2: Yeah, so we went to all Calgary beers this year for Stampede. Uh, there are 10 breweries that we are um, featuring. Um, And, you know, every day of Stampede on the front side we have taps that are, you know, the same throat Uh, We have another kind of party room called the beer bunker Uh, every day. We're focusing on a different one So it's more of a tasting room uh, where like today is villages day Uh, And so if you come down, they will be featuring a couple of different village brewery um, uh, uh, beers in that room. So it's
1: 846 and we mentioned when we started the show that the rule, the new rule in Alberta, is that we can start drinking at eight drinks Stampede. And I haven't had a beer yet, so are we going to taste the beer now? Yeah, absolutely, we can before we come through the first hour. Like we can't, uh, we have to walk our talk,
6: right? <laughs> um,
1: so while we asked for us uh, for one of the servers to get us beer. Um, any regrets along the way, any thing that you kind of look in line and say "Oh, I should have done this differently, I should have bought Vagabond before, become an entrepreneur before?
2: Uh, I don't know if I would say that. I think the only oh, regrets... Or mistakes, maybe not regrets. Oh, mistakes. mistakes. Yeah, there's tons of those. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, so let's uh, stick with two if, questions, regrets
1: and then we'll move to mistakes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think mistake wise, I think um, because I was new to the industry, it would have been good for me to have some experience in it prior to uh, jumping in. Um, there were some people that we didn't quite, um, you know, get the value out of and uh, it was unfortunate because you believe some people to, to have knowledge that you're going to be able to grow with. But, um, but yeah, live and learn, right? I, I, I mean, sometimes you'd always get matched up with the right people and as long as you can figure it out before it uh, takes too long. Uh, and then make some good decisions from there. Again, it comes down to people.
1: Yeah. You keep on coming to back to the that topic of people. Mm-hmm. And how do you treat your, your people here? Because uh, this industry is known for uh, almost a revolving door.
2: Yeah, it is. I, I don't know. It's a question you might have to ask them, but I think because we don't have that much turnover that they actually enjoy being here. Um, you know, we, we definitely have very... Busy times and peaks. Uh, we're not like a normal restaurant because of our neighborhood being so small. We do get big rushes, for, obviously for Stampede. It accounts for a massive amount of our, our annual revenue. Uh, but being that close to the Saddledome, where you know those concerts and, and and NHL hockey and, and, and lacrosse, we get rushes. And so I think I think people like you know coming in, working there three hours, and and making a bunch of money and getting out. Mm. I see. Do you do any extra kind of uh, cultural things with your employees or just stay? In- I mean I'll, obviously I'll have a few drinks from time to time with them, um, but nothing <laughs> n- nothing out of the ordinary.
1: I see. Um, so coming from an industry, you know a lot of people um, at a certain age in their life have this dream of having a pub, owning a pub, uh, pub owning yeah. a restaurant. Uh, what are they it doesn't matter what kind of other industries they're involved in. They see a little bit when they make a little bit money. They yeah, that's yeah. their dream, right? Yeah, especially men, I would say. Yes. Oh, yeah. thank yeah, you. Yeah, I you hear the comment about, a lot by people. Uh, we just got served our first beer of the day. Uh, well, what cheers is, and happy snatching. Cheers. Here. So, what are we having? Is
2: this uh, this the like really blonde. blonde? Yeah, I think yeah, it is.
1: Oh, this is good. Here we go. 8:47, 8:48. My first yeah. beer. Um, And I have a long day. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I have a long
6: week. (laughs) Yeah, we all have a long day
1: here. Sorry. um, I I kind of lost my... uh, When I saw the beer, I lost (laughs) my train of thought. But uh, we'll go back. So, you know, everyone has a dream. And I, personally, I'm a little bit older than you. Ten years ago, I had a dream. Yeah. Uh, What is your recommendation to someone who did it, who moved from, you know, not moved, stayed in... True. You're yeah, and branched out to something. And branched like out to
2: yeah. yeah. And, and you do it alone, right? You don't have a partner, or you do have? No, parents? no. Wow. I mean, I obviously have the, the people that are working on here. Uh, Megan's always here. Sorry, Megan's always here, and she kind of takes care of things too. Uh, and my parents always help out. So there's always that support network. Uh, but yeah, own it for yeah. sure. Um, uh, advice? Um, don't trust everyone, uh, but don't distrust everyone either. You gotta find the good in people and make sure that that you're watching what needs to be watched. Focus on the numbers um, and don't let the product slip away. Don't let the money slip away. You gotta stay focused and it's a it's a seven day a week job uh, and you have to be willing to commit. Um, there is a lot of time and effort that needs to be put in um, and it's all over the place. In the front of the house, back of the house, you know, maintenance wise, things have to get taken care of, um, you know, And if you don't ask someone to do it, they're not going to do it. And if you don't pay attention to small details, then you can run yourself into a lot of trouble as well.
1: I see. But uh, the experience so far has been good for you.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think so. Uh, I've met a lot of great people. uh, Made a lot of great friendships along the way as well. Um, I think it's uh, it's definitely been uh, a great experience for me. Cheers again. Yeah, cheers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're going now to a new system, every question will have cheers. Okay. <laughs> as long as we're not doing shots every, every yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no shots yet. Uh, we're a few hours early. Yeah. Um, uh, on, on a positive note, um, if you had today uh, to mentor someone that wants to get into business and become an entrepreneur, and it doesn't matter whether it's a hospitality industry or, or any other industry, um, both as a experienced CFO, experienced now as a a restaurant owner, what kind of advice you can give, positive advice you can give someone who wants to become an entrepreneur to help them avoid some of the mistakes you have done along the way?
2: Well, for me, and I'm a strong believer of taking risks, Uh, if you don't take one, you're never gonna know. Don't be afraid to fail. I mean, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen? You just get up and keep trying, right? Um. So a lot of people do. I think they get down on themselves and don't think they can, they can, you know, I don't know, make the next step or do something different because they're happy and stable in what they have. And I'm not saying drop everything and go do things. I mean, take a calculated risk, but um, don't be afraid to do it. If you believe in it and you think you can make it work, then why not give it a shot? Um,
1: I want to ask you one question because uh, you, you mentioned earlier, we, we discussed whether it's ADD or any other reason that you, you, you don't focus on it your decisions being a CFO and being not focused completely on stuff which is a, a little bit of oxymo yeah
2: your yeah. decisions are brain driven or gut driven I think brain no yeah no not a lot of gut um, there's always always thinking about something yeah no rarely on the gut um, the only time I think the gut comes into play is when you're you know dealing with People, again, with people, because sometimes you just have to understand whether they're going to be good for you or bad for you. But actual decisions about you know, X versus Y, then the brain takes over.
6: Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, any final advice to our
1: listeners? One advice that kind of stands above all is it.
2: <laughs> I don't know if there's one thing that I could say. Uh, just don't be afraid to take a risk.
1: During the process. When you look in the mirror, what have you
2: learned about yourself? Oh, that I can probably um, try something else and succeed. Um, so if this doesn't work, although it has worked so far, but if it, it turns a different way, um, I think there's always an opportunity somewhere else to do something else. Uh, I whether I don't know what that would be. But uh, I, I think knowing that I've been able to do a number of different things and gone through some good times and bad times with you know, oil going up, oil going down, um, I think I, I believe in myself that I, I could take another risk on something else and uh, is all going up again? Well, I don't want to yet <laughs> there's goodbyes out there
1: come on <laughs> oh I see So <laughs> I'm one of
2: those oh <laughs> okay the loophole guy is
1: speaking now <laughs> that's right um, <laughs> my last question we have a minute before we have sure. close uh, the first hour for. what is the one thing you're proud of? proud of? Yeah, what is the one thing in your life that you're proud of? One thing that stands above all?
2: Yeah, I'm a terrible guy for this because I'm not really good at saying nice things about myself. I beat myself up a lot. and pretty hard on myself. So I don't know if I can really say anything. Um, I'm sure you can. I I have a nice shoe collection. I'm proud of it. (laughs) I don't know. I really don't know. That's a tough one. I'm not good at at praising myself or other people sometimes, too. so, yeah, I don't know if there's anything that stands out, but let's like, say, you know, something you're
1: proud of. You don't have to say what you said, but
2: something you're proud of. I
1: don't know. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back to it in our second hour. <laughs> uh, I want to remind our listeners that we have today a two-hour show, and our, we'll be back here at 10 a.m. Uh, Mountain Time, 9, 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific Time. Uh, if you're in Calgary, please join us for breakfast at Vagabond Calgary at 1129 Olympic Way Southeast across from the Stampede uh, entrance and it's in support of Project Warmth. Uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and connect with us on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you at dvwallock at gmail.com and we'll meet you here in an hour. Your host David Wallach.
0: But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach.
1: Good morning again, y'all, and uh, glad to be back with you with our second uh, session of today's uh, our show, taking care of business. And uh, as I mentioned many times in the last week, uh, today's uh, event is uh, a Stampede special for the, the biggest uh, outdoor show on earth, which is the Calgary Stampede. And um, as you know, uh, we today are kind of uh, helping a local. Uh, charity a charity called Project Warmth Society of Alberta and I'm happy to have on the line with me Mr. Gordon J. Ho- G. Hoffman uh, QC founder of Project Warmth Society of Alberta good morning Gordy
3: good morning David how are you I'm okay
1: I'm okay uh, except of the weather of course uh, we, goodness. Like to, uh, <laughs> we like Stampede to be uh, sunnier than this what we got today
3: well um, it's going to be sunny shortly I'm sure
1: <laughs> Hopefully. Um, I would like to chat with you a little bit about uh, Project Warmth and learn from you about uh, this uh, amazing charity. So, when was uh, Project Warmth founded? It
3: was founded in 1995. And by who? It was founded by uh, myself, uh, quite frankly, oh, in saw. 1995, and it's been active ever since then, uh, growing every year, David.
1: Um, so, what is the focus of uh, Project Warmth as, a, as an organization?
3: Well, we're engaged on a yearly basis to provide sleeping bags, outerwear, blankets, scarves, gloves, footwear, caps, hats, toques, and so forth for the needy, underprivileged, and homeless. And as well, we assist school children under umbrella organizations, pupils' parkas, students' scarves, kids' coats, jacket racket, and Project Clean. I see, and
1: uh, go ahead, sorry, go ahead.
3: Yeah, that's okay, and I was going to say, and so we have uh, people that have clothing and outerwear, they drop them off at all City of Calgary fire station depots, and it's picked up by the Project Warrant vehicles, taken to our warehouse in northeast Calgary, cleaned, repaired, sorted, and distributed to various shelters, social service agencies, schools, and First Nation uh, groups, uh, throughout the city and Alberta, quite frankly. And last year, Project Warmth uh, distributed over 150,000 items of clothing to those in need.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So, is Project Warmth a charity that is funded by either federal, provincial, or municipal government, or is it well, all... Go ahead. It's
3: all, it's all we don't get, David, we get no funding from the federal government or from the provincial government or the municipal government. It's all raised by uh, private funding and by fundraising uh, proceedings that we carry on uh, throughout the year. And uh, the only relationship we have really with the government is the relationship we have with the city of Calgary fire station depots uh, that accommodate the receipt of all the uh, clothing and outerwear. And they've been with us, uh, thankfully, since the onset, since 1995, and they're a wonderful partner.
1: Um, That's surprising. You know, I want to ask you, is this kind of a common thread that you don't get financing from any uh, government uh, level, or this is a decision you guys made as an organization to work only with the private uh, sector?
3: I think that's a very interesting question, and quite frankly, no, it's it's not a decision that we've made. The truth of the matter is that government funding, federal, provincial, municipal, is really drying up. And so if an organization has been dependent uh, in the past on government funding, David, then uh, they're very uh, that could be a very dangerous situation from them from the point of view that, government funding dries up, and then where are you? And so you become reliant and dependent on the government funding, and sometimes that's that's not a very good way to handle the organization. So uh, if government funding was there, we would certainly take it, but we would not take it from the perspective that we would ever think that we would not be able to function without that government funding. The organization's objectives are far too important uh, to... To be concerned with all of a sudden lack of funding and then we would have to curtail the operation
1: i see and um how do you um in hindsight in the last uh 20 you said 20 1995 so 22 years um, how do you find the support of the local uh calgary business community to our project warmth uh, society
3: well you know something uh as you well know david calgary is a terrific city and uh very philanthropic in in many many ways and so even in these tough times people it would seem have stepped up and those that have have doubled their efforts to help those organizations so we've been very fortunate Uh, we've had great support from uh, from many supporters over the years and sometimes the same supporters and and very often new supporters and so We've just been uh, we've been working at it very hard. It's not something that you can take for granted, as you well know, being in business. And so we work on it regularly. We have uh, a pivotal yearly fundraiser that's our major fundraiser. and uh, with that and the uh, the revenue gained and the exposure from that fundraiser, uh, funds are just funds arrive. I mean, we never have a surplus of funds but we've been fortunate we're able to carry on and to and to accommodate the uh, the huge growing need
1: i see and um, you know you touched on the uh, main event that you have and since we're now celebrating the calgary stampede um, uh, from my reading and when we did the research your main event as is connected to stampede can you elaborate a little bit about your main event
3: well no you know some we do some main uh, we're we're, uh, we're associated with some of the major groups that are having uh, their fundraising activities during Stampede Week, but, uh, and, and we get revenue from a lot of those organizations as a direct result of the Stampede. But uh, generally, uh, primarily, our main event occurs in December of every year, where we bring in uh, December of Christmas time 450 disadvantaged children and their families. From across the city to see, and we bus them and to see the presentation of Theatre Calgary's Christmas Carol. And in addition to the uh, production, we give them a lavish buffet, presents, gift certificates, chocolate-covered apples, and it's marvelous and heartwarming to see uh, these children from these disadvantaged schools come with their families. And very, very often that's the first time that they've seen live theater and Uh, To see the look and the awe on their face during the presentation is worth everything. And sometimes, uh, and we've remarked in the past, we get letters of thanks from individuals after the presentation. And some of the students and children say it was the very best day of their lives. So it doesn't get any better than that. So in addition to, to helping all of those with the provision of outerwear and clothing, that's one of the very, very important things we do, and that really resonates loudly with with many citizens and many corporate and private citizens in the city.
1: Um, it seems to me that I have to squeeze it out from you because I saw your a picture of you the first time I saw you without a suit and tie. Is I saw a picture of you in uh, full cowboy gear at the uh, ranchman uh, uh, bull riding, and um, yeah. I just wonder if you can uh, share with us about that experience and that kind of ra- fundraiser and. And, and also, have you sat on one of those bulls?
3: Have I? I'm, I'm, first of all, <laughs> we've had a relationship with Ranchman's Renegades, and that goes back to Harris Dvorak and blessed memory, and we've had a relationship with them for, I would say, an excess of 10 years. And so Project Warmth is, is one of the charities that uh, is a recipient of funds from Ranchman's Renegades and the bull-busting activities during the Stampede. And so... Uh, it's it's marvelous and anybody uh, who hasn't been to ranchman's during bull busting and otherwise should really uh, should really make an effort to do that. It's a marvelous event. they round up uh, the worst and the hardest bulls in the world, I think or in the country anyway, and they get these poor individual cowboys to ride in the bulls and no I've never done it, David, thank you and have no <laughs> desire and uh, they have bleachers and they accommodate about five thousand people and it's It's a terrific event, and it's a terrific event for charity. And so ranchmen on McLeod Trail should be congratulated and thanked for for what they do for the citizens of Calgary and for the charities. And so we really value that relationship, and it's every year starting Stampede on the first two days prior to Stampede.
1: Gordy, there's no doubt in my mind that if one year you'll decide to on a bull, the money you'll be able to raise is, will be...
3: <laughs> I can tell you this much. David, if I sat on the bull, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation today. <laughs> I can tell you that much. Those bulls, holy mackerel, I don't know what they feed them, but they you've got to be formidable to get on one, never mind to stay on one for the eight-second counts. And so... Uh, they're athletes and to the nth extent, and so uh, it's a wonderful relationship, and uh, and we value that greatly, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there next year, David.
1: Thanks. Well, God willing, um, Gordy. Yeah we talked about the charity in general, but can you elaborate a little bit about your operation? So, you said that the uh, uh, Calgary Fire Department helps you collect the items, people can drop their items there, but how do you kind of, you said, if I remember right, you said you you kind of distributed over 150,000 items, so how many people work in the organization, what's the well, process? You, that
3: you know something we have, so we have some vehicles on the road and so the vehicles pick up the outerwear and the clothing at the uh, City of Calgary Fire Station depots and they take them to the warehouse and they're cleaned of course and they're repaired and sorted and distributed as new and so very often we have I believe full time uh, and it's uh, Jonathan Fezzik and his family Jamie Fezzik Jonathan is the uh, commandeer of the uh, warehouse and he's a former city of Calgary fire captain and his family help and they organize and they run the, uh, the warehouse and the bulwark of the uh, of the work, the cleaning, the repairing, the sorting, and the distributing is done by volunteers. And so, many of the organizations in the city, uh, the oil companies, and some of the manufacturers and fabricators, they take a day or two every year with, and they come to the warehouse and they help. And they uh, and Jonathan and Jamie and the entire staff there get them working. And so. We rely on on volunteers a lot, and so and organizations to bring their people to assist us. And we also retain and we uh, bring in some people from some of the organizations, from even the the uh, emergency shelter and some of the other ones where where the individuals want to work. And we bring them in and we pay them and we get them to help us, and it it just works. But uh, we're snowed under. We're just the demand is just ever increasing and it's on a yearly basis, David. It just it doesn't stop for everybody who says, Well it must just be for the winter, but it's the whole year round. In summer we're just as busy and the need is huge. And what we also have at the warehouses we have uh, machines and people can come in, they can do their cleaning. I don't know if you've had to plug a, a machine to clean or to dry clothing and it's terribly expensive. So that's part of the organization under project clean so it's just it's non-stop uh... seven twenty four twenty four seven
1: i see um... you, you touched about the uh, growing demand and i want to ask you in the last two years we here in uh, alberta and particularly in calgary we were kind of going through a local uh, economic i would say a local economic downturn with our oil price going down did this uh, increase the demand for your services? Yes.
3: yes, sure. It surely has. I mean, we we see that we can't begin to uh, to accommodate everything and to do with everything that we have to do. And so, sure, uh, we see uh, we see not just before we see different walks of life, people that have been employed for for their whole lifetimes, all of a sudden being unemployed and having to take advantage of the uh, of the services we render and, so, and the school children and their parents and sure we see that we see that in a major way David and so uh, we just try and do as much as we can for all of those that we can and it's just uh, it's just it's a growing need and of course uh, when you say the economic downturn is fueling that need it, sh- it surely is
1: were, were you guys able to increase uh, your, your services in the last two years as, re- as a result of this uh, growing demand?
3: Well, we're trying. We're trying, but I must tell you, the costs are staggering. The gasoline costs, the insurance costs, the, the uh, detergent costs, uh, and the, uh, the employment costs, they're just—they're huge. And so we have to be very careful, and we have, to, we have to just watch how we spend our monies, and we have to do it as carefully and as frugally as we can to make sure that we're there and that we continue to survive and continue to be able to do and offer the services that we do. As you can note in the city, I mean, a lot of the organizations, unfortunately, the charitable organizations with government funding cutbacks and otherwise, uh, those organizations have not been able to uh, survive. And so uh, organizations that previously were able to fill part of the niche that we're doing aren't there anymore. So we're having to try and pick up to occupy and to fill that niche. But we have to be ever cautious and we just have to make sure that we just don't go overboard, so to speak, to we have to stay healthy and we have to stay strong. And that's... So we're doing whatever we can to, to help as many people as we can, David.
1: Um, Gordy, I want to... We're kind of nearing uh, the end of our, my short interview with you and I have to... I want to kind of end it on a positive note. So uh, in 2013, following the flood... Uh, Project Warmth Society of Alberta won a special award. Can you share with us that award that you guys won?
3: Yeah, we we uh, we really stepped it up at that time, even more so, and and added another dimension to our services. And so, we went to outside the city, to Black Diamond, to uh, a lot of the First Nation organizations, and to some of the smaller centers uh, throughout uh, Alberta, and we. We uh, managed to purchase, and we managed to cajole and uh, convince local suppliers to give us blankets and sleeping bags and and various other clothing and outerwear, new parkas, etc. So we really uh, we added people, and we were uh, we were just going very very strong and and really uh, really accomplished a lot. And so for that. The organization was recognized by the Alberta government as being one of the heroes of the flood, and that meant a great deal to us. Uh, it really did, and we were so very pleased to be able to to step up and to do uh, what, we, what we're what there for. And also, not just the uh, the Alberta flood, too, David, but also Fort McMurray. We were involved in a large way in, uh, in gathering materials and supplying them. And, uh, and arranging for them to be picked up and taken to Fort McMurray, so it's a never-ending thing. There's always there's always a huge need, and there and unfortunately, and very often, there are disasters that crop up, and so we're there for that, and uh, and we want to stay strong to be able to help and to be there for all instances and all those in need.
1: Gordy, my last question: Where do you see Project Warmth Society in the next five to ten years? Can we eliminate the need and, and help other people? No,
3: I don't think so. I, I must tell you that, uh, uh, I mean, I wish we could say that. It's like homelessness in Calgary. I don't know if you can ever eliminate that need. I think all you can do is just try and deal with it and try and be there for as many people as you can. And so uh, we're just going gonna to keep on trucking, and we realize that uh, uh, we're uh, unfortunately a growth industry david and so i think unfortunately we're going to be uh needed and called upon in the uh, foreseeable future for a long time and so uh, we're just going to stay strong and we're going to get more volunteers and we're going to get somebody to take maybe to assist this old guy to uh, to keep the organization going and and we'll just do our very
6: best
1: Gordy, um, before I let you go, uh, I want to thank you for the great work you guys and uh, and your spearheading doing for Calgarians in need. Uh, but I do want to mention one thing and congratul- congratulate you personally. Last month, you were one of the recipients of the Calgary Award. 2016, you, uh, you received the Heritage Award. Congratulations, Gordy! Thank you and, so and, much. Thank you. And keep keep on the good work. And uh, it's unfortunate, but we have to keep this uh, good work that you're uh, doing. And we hope to have more businesses support uh, Project Warmth. Well,
3: thank uh, thank you. you. Let let me also Th- say in parting too, David, that your uh, your people and your supporters and all the listeners and everyone that has any affiliation with Barclay Street Real Estate and David Wallach should realize what a great corporate citizen you are and how philanthropic you and your organization are. You. And if everyone in the city was like David Wallach and your family, or and Barclay Street Real Estate, we would be coasting and we would be doing much better. So kudos to you and your organization, your family, and thank you so much for everything.
1: Thank you, Gordy, and have a great day.
3: All the best. Um, Thank you so much.
1: Bye bye. We're going to take our next commercial break. Uh, please open a new tab and check one of our sponsors, RosoCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, visit their blog, follow them on Twitter and Instagram, and like them on Facebook. And we'll be back here in three minutes.
0: tuned into taking care of business with david wallach to reach the program today please call one 866 472 that's one 472 you may also send an email to Wallach at gmail.com that's d-i-v-i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's show
1: We're back here at uh, Vagabond Calgary restaurant uh, with our special Calgary Stampede uh, broadcasting. And uh, in the next two sessions, I'm going to host uh, two business people that are local business people that uh, are enjoying Stampede. And I'm going to talk with them about the Stampede, the importance to the city, uh, charity, and all those uh, subjects we like to talk about when we uh, kind of uh, interview people. So my guest uh, for the next session, and we're going to have beer with each one of them, because as <laughs> you know, uh, beer is available from 8 a.m., and it is now 10:25, uh, and I only, only had one so far. So uh, I'm way behind um, my guest now is Troy Barker, Assistant Vice President, Commercial Financing, Prairie Region for First National Financial. Uh, thanks, Troy, for, for uh, joining me and yeah, joining us. For and having here, Cassandra, we're getting us our beer. Uh, we'll wait with this. Uh, we'll, we'll cheer at the end. Um, so, Troy, how many years? Are you a Calgarian,
4: born
8: and yes. raised? Yes, actually, you know, I was born and raised in Sherwood Park, just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, and actually came to Calgary in 1988 and uh, I guess that makes me pretty much a, a full-time Calgarian so it's uh, it's been quite a ride uh, I've seen a lot of changes in the city in the past 25-30 years so uh, it's, it's a great place to be I, I like the spirit of Calgary I like the fact that it's a very resilient city and uh, you know Unfortunately, we've got some rain today, but I think it's going to be a very <laughs> successful stampede this year.
1: Okay, perfect. Uh, you, you kind of uh, touched on the stampede in your last par- portion of your answer. So, um, how important is stampede? You've been in business for how many
8: years now in Calgary? Well, I, I, I've been working in Calgary since 1988. So, again, that's, that, that's approaching 30 years, David. And so, so,
1: how important have you seen? That's the year of the Olympics, right? And, yeah, and that's
8: actually the summer. I just came after the Winter Olympics. So, I, I came in July of 1988. And since that time, I've seen the city grow tremendously. And I actually, you know, I've used Stampede as the greatest outdoor show on earth. Uh, It's it's gained worldwide recognition. It's funny, you know, my my girlfriend, uh, she's German, and uh, she's got a lot of relatives that uh, come from Germany, the Stampede. And we see a lot of international visitors here. I was out for dinner the other night, and uh, was sitting next to three couples, and every every single one of those couples was from Europe. So uh, we had a, a couple from Britain. A uh, couple from Germany, and actually, there's another couple. I'm sorry, from New York City, oh. and they were in from this for the stampede. So I, I know that it has a, a big international um, impact. And I think it's great for the city.
1: That's great. By the way, if you need help with uh, relatives in Germany, I speak fluent German.
8: So, oh, uh, wunderbar just, wunderbar we get
1: in But in terms of business, I want to ask you about the business community in Calgary. How important is the stampede for the business community, if at all?
8: Well, I, I think it's a tremendous boon to the city. You know, it's a great time of year. Uh, I think there's no doubt that there's definitely definitely an in, uh, economic impact to the city over this 10-day period. I think if you look back uh, historically in the past, you know, 10, 20 years of the Stampede, you know, there's definitely studies that have been done that have concluded that it's it's a very positive economic impact to the city, and I think it brings a lot of. Uh, notoriety uh, to the markets around the world frankly i mean this it's the greatest outdoor show on earth so yes so you I, keep on coming every year to i keep city. on coming every year i've got teenage boys at home and uh they love going to the grounds and experiencing the rides my uh, my son this morning was telling me how excited he was to try all the new rides here so uh it's it's actually been a great thing it's a family event we go every year to the chucks and uh Try to at least spend one or two days out of the grounds, and I think even when you look at the restaurant hospitality side of the the business, they you know they're all positively impacted from this 10-day period. So it's really a, a positive thing for, for many different uh, industries. Now. Um
1: can you use um, over the years? Can you use uh, the stampede as a barometer of the city's financial,
8: you know, status or
1: economic status?
8: You know, I think that every every year there's always a lot of articles that talk about that, and I, I think that there's somewhat of a correlation for sure. I mean, you look at the the fact that we're such an energy-based city. There's no doubt that uh, you know the the climate of of the stampede is a direct impact uh, of what's happening in the energy markets and. Uh, I think what's happened in the last two years is is really there's been a lot of cutting back, paring down to the point where a lot of these energy, oil and gas companies have managed to uh, operate uh, at uh, these lower oil prices and as a result um, I think there's going to be a lot of positive upside in the next few years. I think for a lot of people that are holding parties this year, Stampede Functions, uh, I think it's business as usual and I I think uh, again it's a test to the resiliency of of Calgary.
1: So do you see that this year? Oh let me ask you on a personal level, were you invited to more event this events this year compared <laughs> to the
8: last two years? Every time I get invited uh, invited I am very thankful. Uh, I, I would say that I've got I got the same number of invites this year as I did last year. Um, I think what's happened is, you know, there was a real big shock downturn maybe a couple of years ago. But I think now what I'm sensing is that a lot of people that I talk to in the community, both in the investment world and in the real estate world, in the oil and gas world, uh, what I'm hearing from a lot of people is that, you know what, uh, we, we're we probably hitting bottom or near bottom. And I, I think we're going to be in a period of some stabilization in the next couple of years. So it's uh, it's sort of full steam ahead right now. I think I think the worst is arguably behind us.
1: Now I know that uh, usually we joke about Stimped that everybody you know we start drinking early and everybody gets a little bit tipsy and the whole nine yards. But we have so many social and business gathering and events during Stimped. Can you do business during the Stimped time?
8: Absolutely. I think you can. I think it's really uh, a question of uh, a person's ability to to want to network. Uh, I know that uh, for myself and my colleague in the office, Tamir uh we try to get out to as many events as we can, things like this, David, and try to get to some industry functions. Uh, there's a lot of companies uh, holding functions at this time of year, um, uh, whether they be construction uh, companies or consulting companies, and we try to attend a lot of these events. And really, you know, as they say, circulate, and percolate. I mean, it's, uh, it's a, a, a main focus for us to, to bring in new business and meet people that uh, we haven't met before. So Stampede, and I think the other thing, of course, is when you're going to Stampede events, you know, people are, are a little bit easier to socialize with and connect with than that sort of, you know, formal function. So I think it's a great opportunity to get out there. And a lot of people are in a really fun sort of spirit. And I think it uh, helps foster a lot of great conversation.
1: So you basically what you do is uh, do you give out business cards or give out business cards or do you actually have uh, work meetings that
8: are fruitful yeah. or you people know, are not in that kind of mood? Well, typically what I'd like to do, and this goes uh, with with most of what we do here, is uh, typically of course is when you're at the function, of course you have a nice dialogue and, and over a beer or something like that at Stampede and usually exchange cards and then usually what i do is you know i you know i try to arrange something within the next week or two where it's more of a sit down formal face to face right or we can actually dive into some of the issues and uh maybe over a breakfast or a lunch or something right but at the time when you're in the moment at a stampede party i think it's more about just having fun and really trying to connect with the person in the five or ten minutes that you're with them right so i see and um if you look back in the last let's say decade
1: uh, that's more or less a little bit more. You, you're with First uh, National, right?
8: Uh, just yes, over I, a decade. I, 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 yeah, I've been at uh, First National for about twelve years now. up okay. twelve years, so. Um,
1: so, uh, looking back, um, can you say you know I made a few uh, introductions during Stampede that brought me business following Stampede?
8: Yeah, you know, when I when I think back, uh, when of course what I started uh, twelve years ago it was just myself. We've got a team of six of us here now in Calgary and in the Calgary office on the commercial side. Uh, it was always a big uh, thing for me to sort of attend as many industry functions as I could. So there's definitely been numerous connections made, uh, you know, mainly through the real estate brokerage firms, and consulting firms, construction firms, uh, developers, lawyers, law firms, a lot of lawyers, uh, both functions. So there's definitely been many connections I've made through uh, Sanfee functions over the years. I don't know how many, I, I couldn't put a number to it, but uh, it's got to be at least 30 or 40 over the years.
1: Which translated into deals as well, or just connections?
8: Well, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of years before you get it uh, to do yeah. a deal with a client. Yeah. So <laughs> I would say that there's definitely been some for yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But uh, I always uh, would say to people that you know, sometimes again, it's one of those things where you meet people, and uh, it's it's more about planting seeds, and you know, sometimes the, the deal, the consummation of the deal, comes years later.
1: So. Okay. Um, you are, as we mentioned, you are a uh, V.P. of the Prairie region. Yes. Which means that your head, the head office is in Toronto. And how do, how do the Toronto people accept the fact that the mayor and you are partying for 12 days, party after party, <laughs> and not in the office doing deals? <laughs> uh,
8: well, you know that's a great question, David. Uh, you know. <laughs> We, I, should
1: we call Jeremy and put you know, him on the line? Bring him I,
8: on I, <laughs> you know, David, I have a saying, it's uh, ignorance is bliss, right? So, you know, I, I I follow that motto. I mean, Jeremy has actually been out with us to, to a couple of uh, these stampedes in the past and uh, had a great time. We've, we've actually tied in a couple of clients' uh, meetings with uh, Stampede in, in, in the past, and again, very successfully. I think that, you know, the, the culture in Toronto uh, obviously, it's very different than out west here, but I think that they, they view the Stampede as, again, a very positive thing for, for us and for our clients. Uh, that's who we're dealing with. I mean, a lot of these people are Calgary-based, and uh, there a lot of these people are behind the Stampede. They're pro-Stampede, and so, um, you know, Jeremy and others, I think they're very supportive of the cause here, for sure. We do what we got to do, David. We make the sacrifices every day.
1: <laughs> Cheers for that. That's for that. One, that's one how to choose <laughs> for that. You know, we have to take one for the team, right? Yes, <laughs>
8: we have to take one for the team, exactly. Yeah, it's wonderful. I just, I, you know, I, I think this is the only uh, bad weather day of all whole Browns. Yeah, right? yeah, uh, that's
1: the only, unfortunately, for us, that's the only day that we have rain. But uh, as long as we're being served village, uh, yes. village beer this and Russell co- coffee, you know, we're doing well. <laughs> it's uh, a great. Th- that combination works very well <laughs> for us. So, it's a
8: great mix. It's a great
1: mix. You know, we pride ourselves being Albertans um, on, uh, on big on charity. Yes, yes, yes. For um, sure. Over the years. Um, what what have you seen in the city and you've been here more than me so uh, you have a better perspective first the uh, second you're alvera born so you've seen it also uh, in, in the edmonton region what have you seen here that is you think is different than let's say other places in canada in terms of volunteering charity community
8: you know uh, I've, I've thought about that. Uh, there's been a lot of articles written about that. I think it's you know it's that Western hospitality. It's it's the fact that in Calgary uh, we have a high degree of, of entrepreneurs here. There's a, there's a lot of entrepreneurial startup companies in, in Calgary. I think it might, we might lead the country in, in startups. So I think it's that resilient spirit, you know, the fact that uh, you know you can, you can knock us down but we'll come back up. And I think that that shines through in other areas such as charity and, and uh, I, I believe also I've been with some studies that Calgary I think is uh, one of the top cities in the country for, for charities and giving back so I'm, I'm fully supportive of that I love being part of that culture it, uh, it makes me feel good and it makes me feel good that uh, I think that some of this is uh, going to a charity which is great and I, I love that I'm very supportive of that I, yeah
1: thank you for coming and supporting um, you know without business we can't finish right without asking you a little bit about business as well We're all talking about how the last two years were tough in Calgary and how the last two years were tough in Alberta as a result of the oil price. uh, Unfortunately, we are not a diversified economy. Um, And you being in the lending community, what have you seen in 2017 different or the same as 2015 and 2016, which were basically almost a local recession?
8: You know, I I think that's uh, that's interesting. I I think in 2015 and 2016, there was no doubt a a massive um, exodus of of interest sort of out of Alberta from a lending perspective. A lot of uh, investors, lenders uh, were not really too interested in in, uh, investing in Alberta, uh, mainly because again, we're we're very energy focused. Uh, We're probably not as diversified as we'd like to be. And so there was definitely a pullback, I think we've seen. Uh, a lot of consistent um, activity from a lot of the local lenders in Alberta, which has been great. It's provided a lot of liquidity to businesses. So that's that's definitely been a positive. I think what I noticed in 2017 is that there is now starting to be a renewed interest in investing back in Alberta. Mainly, I think it's perception again, it's optics that you know perhaps the worst is behind us, and so a lot of these eastern-based lenders and others are looking at it. I, what I'm hearing is that they're telling me, well, listen, you know what? Maybe a, a year ago, uh, I wouldn't bother looking at this deal today. You know what? We'll look at that deal. We might be a little bit conservative, but at least we'll entertain it. So I think that has definitely changed in the past 12 months. So it's, you know, the, the, the liquidity door is opening a little bit more in Alberta uh, as, as we continue up through two, two, 2017. I expect it will continue for the balance of the year. In short, do the people in Toronto see that? Or they're still kind of putting us in the dog's house? You know, I don't think we're out of the woods yet, David. I I think mainly that's because, you know, they read the Globe and Mail every day. And we know what the media is like. I mean, it's never as bad as they say. It's never as worse as they say. The truth is in the middle somewhere, right? I see. uh, So I I don't think we're out of the woods yet, but it's a work in progress.
1: Okay, I want to thank uh, Troy Barker, Assistant uh, Vice President, Commercial Financing, Prairie Region for First National. And as uh, we discussed earlier, we'll have a toast before the end of the interview. So that's our second toast. Cheers, to, uh, Cheers David, Troy. Thank you for
8: having me. Yeah, Schluss in German. Schluss. Yes, yes. prost. <laughs> uh
1: We're going to take our last commercial break, and uh, please uh, check our um, sponsor, VillageBrewery.com. Uh, check their blog. Check their uh, YouTube and check their uh, Village Radio. And we will be back back here shortly after the commercial. Have a great time.
4: Stimulating talk. Gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
5: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
7: Are you finding your frequency?
0: tuned into taking care of business with david wallach to reach the program today please call one 866 472 that's one 866 472 you may also send an email to wallach at gmail.com that's d-i-v-i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's show and we're
1: back uh, for the home stretch of our show, taking care of business in support of Project Warmth, or as we call it, the Six Pack in support of Project Warmth. And um, my last guest for today is uh, Nancy Bacon, uh, president of Chase Alternative, and. Um, you know, like my previous guest Troy, I would like to talk with you as a business person in Calgary more about the, the Calgary Stampede and the importance for business or not, and uh, kind of discussing in general the, uh, the, the whole event that we're doing. And my first question will be is, um, how important is Stampede for the business community, the, the Calgary Stampede, or, or at all, or is it important at all?
9: Um, I guess it depends on who you talk to. Um, from my perspective, I'm to you. with my business, it's <laughs> wildly important. In fact, I I, ca- I like to call it my favorite holiday of the year, um, specific to my business because you have a lot of people come to town. Um, uh, and my business is stretches right across the Canada, and we have a lot of clients that come in from out of town. They don't understand Stampede. They don't know what it's about. They don't understand the vibe of it. And when they get here, they're they're shocked. They're excited. And you get to see a little bit more about who they are as people. You you learn more about who your clients are, or who your colleagues are. Um. And you grow your relationship, and I think we all know in business, relationships are key. And one thing I find during Stampede is is, uh, at the end of those 10 days, I've got a lot of wonderful friends from clients I've worked with for years. Um, and so that to me is very important. And, and business is actually discussed. We try not to after our, our second beer, and by second beer, I mean fourth. <laughs> Why, um, that,
1: that's when you get them to sign.
9: <laughs> that's very true, that's very true, but I'm in a regulated environment, so I gotta watch that. But you know, what? It, it is remarkable to yeah. see the, the, the difference of people, again, that you've known for so long just really open up and thoroughly enjoy themselves for the Calgary Stampede.
1: So uh, I want to point out, make kind of uh, to clarify one point you said you said you, you call it your vacation but what I understand from what you said right now you're working very hard to extend
9: I call it my favorite, holiday, yeah, so, so kind it. of holiday, like the Christmas season, et cetera. So, um, I call it my holiday because it, it is a lot of fun, um, and, and while there's a lot of work that does um, happen during Stampede, the majority specific to my business is rapport building, um, and so it, it's it's like a holiday for me uh, to get, again, get to know the, the clients, uh, the colleagues, um, and people. And we've had people come uh, from other countries. I love it when you have the British people here. They don't understand that the orange juice has vodka in it, and they're very confused. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 just a wonderful uh, platform to showcase our city and, and why we love to live in Calgary and why we love to do business in Calgary.
1: I see. So you try to attend as many events as you can if you get. Fit your uh, business model or the biz- or the industry you're in or just
9: general believe it or not and it's it's funny when you talk to a lot of people who do business in Calgary um, they're very strategic about their stampede events actually we're very strategic about our stampede events because it's it's not only about attending the right events where you know the people you want to speak with are going to be there but it's also the ones that you invite uh, your out of town guests to you want to make sure that they're going to have a good time that you're able to introduce them to the people um, that support their business um, so it is it's, it's, it's a uh, it, it, it's strategic to some but I, again I enjoy it so we don't just go to every single event the w- events that we go to are very specific to um, my business which is private markets um, and very specific also to the business of my colleagues uh, right because we're wanting again to showcase our city but at the same time you know collect a few favors by introducing them to important relationships that might be able to in turn help their business.
1: I see. And um, I understand that you, tomorrow, uh, have an event that you are kind of semi-hosting with with other people in your yeah, industry. Absolutely. And, and how do you kind of decide uh, who to invite, who not to invite? I mean, there's a limit, a capacity limit issue. There's uh, fire uh, regulation <laughs> issues. There are different issues that I don't even know where they are because I'm not in the hospitality business. But um, how do you kind of rank the Not rank, it's wrong. How do you decide who to invite to the specific event?
9: So there, there, there is actually again there's a strategy to that. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a secret, but I'm certainly happy to share it uh, today. So when we have an event. What you're trying to do is you're finding out, who, first of all, are the sponsors and which client in particular are you bringing. So the one that we're having tomorrow, uh, we have issuers uh, within the private uh, markets in Canada uh, looking to raise capital from private market dealers. Uh, so the number one individual I'll be inviting tomorrow are, of course, the ones that provide the most benefit to those issuers. Uh, secondary from there, the sec- once I have those invited, then I would bring in the advisor specific. Then I bring in anyone else I think will provide value those issuers, which quite frankly are my clients. Uh, you do not just cast out an email or a blanket email. Every single person you invite has to provide value in some way. It doesn't appear that way, uh, but when you're hosting these events, you got to keep in mind too that uh, they're not cheap. Um, so when you have someone sponsoring, um, you want to make sure that not only they get value, but they want to do it again next year, and/or they want to do two next year, because um, yeah. you do get so much value from the relationships created.
1: So let's talk about the value. By the way, I understand that your event is here at Vagabond. So are you sleeping yeah. here tonight? Or are you staying yeah. here for the rest just of... underneath the bar? If oh, don't okay, mind. perfect.
9: <laughs> as long as it's not too sticky.
1: <laughs> um, let's talk about the value. Um, You you earlier said after two beers we stop talking about business or (laughs) we don't get them to sign, but how do you create value in an environment that is a little bit more, I would say, as you said, loose, a little bit more open, a little bit more, um, uh, how do you create a business discussion whether during or following?
9: So you've heard the expression in sales, uh, people only buy from whom they like. Um, So it is the relationship. Unfortunately I heard. so it is it it is one of those things so for example if you had a a a very well-known dealer um, and let's just say he's in invaded um, by issuers looking to raise capital from them um i'm going to bring my issuer and i'm going to put them in an environment i'm going to create an introduction i'm going to ply them with alcohol and by the end of that conversation they're going to have found some form of common ground and i will actually uh, i'll try to um work the conversation to assist with finding that common ground especially if you're dealing with two different personalities and by the end of it now they're, now they're friends they get to know each other a little bit more they get to know a little bit about their families and quite commonly and I, I, I'm 14 years into Stampedes, I've got a 100% track record in terms of people buying from whom they like by the end of Stampede. Um, So
1: they like you, or they're just so hammered that they can't uh, tell Probably a little bit of both, (laughs) 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 Uh,
9: but there's definitely relationships formed, and it doesn't always work out in the long term, but what I'm really trying to show to, for example, um, person A is why I think they should like person B. Um, Try to find that common ground. If I can find it, great. If I don't. Well, at least I've got it for a little bit after Stampede.
1: I see. Um, by the way, the fact that I'm drinking beer now is because my wife left the event, so I don't, <laughs> the boss is not here. I can drink. <laughs> so you said you've been you've been uh, 14 years here and 14 years attending Stampede for yep. your business. And have you seen um, have you seen the last few years a change in Stampede spirits and Stampede mood? Did you? Was it? more difficult last year and the year before because of the local recession to um, get those conversations?
9: Well, numbers were certainly less last year, but I think more alcohol was actually drunk last year because of the recession, unfortunately. Um, In in my business though, when it's private markets, when when times are good, I can profit and when times are bad, I I can profit as well. Um, So in terms of the success um, that we saw last year, yes, while the numbers were certainly lower. uh, I guess from people or attendance, um, it, it still was a successful event. It's just again, it's it's uh, don't make an excuse about something. Find a solution, um, and this is what I, I live by in business uh, is finding that solution. So we knew last year was going to be down. The year before was record numbers, if you recall, um, and then all of a sudden we had it was almost probably cut in half with uh, with oil and gas prices sinking so low and, and the recession hitting Calgary. Um, but again, you find what is your solution? You find how well, how are we going to find value? Who is going to um, again, sponsor an event, who's going to have an event, who's not having an event this year and then can we take the people that would typically go there and bring them to ours. Um, it's again finding that solution. So
1: that, That's a very interesting comment because uh, you know we all get invitations to compete events and um, I have to admit that I get at least three or four days that I have two or three events <laughs> in the same day. So, how do you compete for our clients to come to your event?
9: Because I've attended fourteen stampedes with them, they love me by this point. Okay,
6: <laughs>
1: and they buy from who that up?
9: Exactly, exactly. Uh, that is again. Whenever I go to an event, um, uh, as, as much as I would be actually like to to have the four beers, um, I'm actually the whole time I'm there. I'm watching people. I'm putting people together. I'm collecting favors, and that way, not only do people enjoy inviting me to their events, but they'll actually come to my events because they know I'll give them value. Um, and Stampede is just such a fantastic platform for that because it's, it's like going to a baseball game or a football match. When you go into the, the stadium or the arena, there's an excitement in the air. So whether you follow the sport or not, you feel that excitement. Stampede does that right across the city. Um, and so you take, we take advantage of that, um, obviously, to support our business growth.
1: So I guess this year you're busy with events.
9: Oh, I'm having a great time this year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and how is the success rate so far in terms of uh, getting business cards and, and giving your business cards?
9: Actually, quite phenomenal. Uh, we had a really good event yesterday and a wonderful event last Thursday um, that proved actually already to be advantageous. And as a result, um, I got some good news for a client this morning. So um, to me, and but it's it's nonstop. And, and as much as I'm admiring your beer right now, and I might even join you for one after we're done here, um, i got to be cognizant that there's another event today at three thirty, um, that hey, again, I'm not invited. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
9: it wouldn't provide you value, David. <laughs> I don't want to waste your time.
1: If it provides food and beer, that's already value. <laughs>
6: um,
1: Nancy, you, you come from a different, uh, also from the financial background. In in terms of uh, my previous uh, interviewee, Troy, that he's a lender. You come from the private exempt market. Do you see the market changing compared to the last year? Is it better, it's better, worse, nice. the same? 2017, the beginning of 2017 compared to last two years.
9: It's actually pretty significant, uh, and I don't think people actually realize how significant um, the changes has been. Um, and I've actually used people uh, use the term astronomical. Uh, in Canada right now, we are raising twice the capital in the private markets than you are the public markets. In British Columbia alone, they're raising six times more capital in private markets than public markets. Uh, yes, this has a lot to do with the volatility um, that you're seeing in the public markets. People are wanting to place a bit more of their portfolio into alternatives, into private, uh, just to get away from that volatility. Um, and we're, they're diversifying into, um, I guess, effectively a market where you can do direct ac- asset purchasing, or you're uh, directly uh, investing into a, a fund of funds. Or, um, but all to say is, yeah, we are seeing a significant increase. Plus, the rules have also changed uh, to support. Um, uh, the individuals that take advantage of private market, which are commonly small, medium-sized uh, businesses, which represent fifty-four percent of new job creation. Um, so, as because of the rules, um, I guess lessening per se, without taking away investor protections, um, more people are involved with it. Um, I see. So it's been really exciting the last couple of years.
1: I guess by this answer, you didn't have beer yet because you're so focused on your answer. <laughs>
9: <Because> <laughs> so we, it a we're couple going of times. to
1: change. We're going to change that. Uh, <laughs> Nancy thank you so much for your insight about Stampede and about business Um, uh, and that is it that's it Uh, we're almost done with a two hour episode of taking care of business dedicated to local entrepreneurs Vagabond Calgary restaurant Village Brewery Russell Coffee Roasters Barking Street Real Estate and Triumph Real Estate Investment Fund supporting a local charity Project World I want to thank my many guests um, Darren Gordon Hoffman Joy Barker, and Nancy Bacon. And um, as always, a big thank you for my amazing uh, engineer, Aaron Keller, uh, Cassandra Hannison, our production assistant, Winston Price, our executive producer, and the entire Voice America Post Services team. Uh, Special thank you to Eugene Objek, known also as Evgeny, for our graphic designer for his artwork. Thank you all for joining me and uh, staying uh, with us uh, supporting Project Worm. I will meet you here at VoiceAmerica.com slash variety next Tuesday, July 18th, with a new entrepreneur and a new story. Your host, David Wallach.
0: Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.